All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, the last time we were here, we were in chapter one and dealing with the first section in chapter one, which was Paul's praise. Actually, it was Paul's really super praise for God in his elective grace of salvation. Now, what we mean by elective grace, and this is what Paul was stressing, is that God had chosen to save a particular people according to his will for his own purposes, according to his own grace. And so what was highlighted in the first section, and we'll also see it being highlighted in the latter section in chapter one, is that sense of predetermination. And if you look at a lot of the Greek words that are being used, that the word is uh, pra something. It'll be some word that begins with pra, which basically is the idea in Greek, which is before, before. So what Paul is evidencing is that God's plan of salvation and God's people of salvation all of these things were the predetermined and predestined will of God. Nothing is by accident. Salvation is not by accident. It is purposed and planned by God. Those who are saved is not by accident or the arbitrary will of the individual. They too have been purposed and planned by the will of God. And this brings in the idea of predestination. But anyway, so let's finish out the first chapter of Ephesians as Paul continues on in a sense of praise, but more so now talking about the means or the how God has elected unto salvation, how God has chosen unto salvation. And that is through the cross of Jesus Christ by faith in the person and the works of his son, Jesus. Let's begin in verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on the earth. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things according after the counsel of his will. Now we're going to go back and rehash verse number 11 once again, but let's look at verse number seven and see what he's trying to say. So how has God given us or how has God purposed and planned this great redemption of those whom he has predestined? He has done all of this through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why he introduces it saying what having redemption, through his blood. And one thing we want to say even here, although it is not a great aside, but it is always something that we need to keep in mind that Jesus, the Messiah is indeed God who took flesh. He actually took flesh and died on the cross. And the purpose of that death on the cross, the shedding of his blood was for the remission of our sins. 
if there was no true death of the Messiah, there could be no redemption. There could be no uh, uh, um, uh, forgiveness of our sins. And this is that particular word that he used when he calls redemption is that idea of the, of the sense of buying back to buy back that at one time we were lost sentenced to hell with no hope, but God bought us. He purchased us back through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says himself, you were bought with a price, but let's continue in the, in the text. So he talks about that, which Jesus did as the evidence of the richness of God's grace. And notice the superfluous language that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter one, the richness of God's grace, the richness of his mercy, the richness of all of God's goodness, all that God is doing here, as he says, how? in Christ Jesus, granting us those who have, who will believe those who have been predestined the forgiveness of sins. And notice how he says it again, again, that superfluous language. He lavished this on us in all wisdom and insight. This is the purpose of God. And notice that idea of planning, pre-purposing, predestination, this pre-plan, all of this is that very theme of what Paul is speaking of in what God has done, what he has purposed to do in Christ Jesus, what he has purposed to do for a particular people whom he has chosen from the foundation of the world. But he continues and says what? According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. Again, notice that pre-planning language. And the reason why I'm emphasizing this is because Paul, the scripture is emphasizing the sense of all these things being pre-purposed by God and purposed by God according to his Kind intention. Now, when you see that word kind intention, that is that Greek tain eudokion, that is his good pleasure. So, and now the idea, what is Paul talking about? The salvation, God's purposed salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for those whom are predestined to believe in Jesus. And why did God do all of these things? according to his good pleasure. And so he continues And If you haven't watched that previous video that I did on the first part of chapter one, you need to see that because it lays the foundation for what Paul is doing as we move towards chapter two in all of the praise and glory that God has given uh, in the salvation that he has purposed for those whom he has predestined to simply say this salvation is not of anyone's doing. It is not of your works. It is all due to the goodness, the mercy, the glory, the richness of God in Christ Jesus. So once again, this language simply is preparing us as we move towards chapter two, when Paul gives that wonderful statement again that we all are very familiar with, what Ephesians two and eight, 
For by grace you have been saved. It is the gift of God and not of works. What? Lest any man should boast. All of these good, wonderful things that pertain to salvation is according to the good will of God. But let's continue. Uh, now let's go back to verse number 10 with that view uh, to an administration. Now the statement seems kind of thick, but really it's not difficult at all. It's just the wording. The idea of what Paul is talking about when he says the view to an administration to all things being fulfilled in Christ, things in heaven, things in earth, uh, things in this age and things as well as in the age to come. That is God has purposed that in Christ Jesus, all things should have their fulfillment in him. The administration of all things in this present age, that is what we would simply call this age from the time of Adam up until now. Okay. We can consider that holistically as the present age, inclusive of this church age, as well as in the age to come. The age to come speaks of the second coming of Jesus. We refer to this often as the messianic or the millennial kingdom, the 1000 year reign of Jesus Christ. And after the millennial reign, that 1000 years, the total age of all things, all things are brought to completion. And all of these things, whether in this present age and the working of things in this present age or in the next age, the messianic age, the millennial kingdom, even to the wrapping up of the kingdom to bring in, to bring in the eternal kingdom of God. That's revelations chapter 21 and 22. This is the eternal kingdom of God. When all things have been wrapped up and John said he saw a new heaven and a new earth, this universe, according to revelations 21 and one, according to second Peter, this universe will be brought to completion. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is it is the sovereign will and purpose and pre-planning of God that he should bring all of these things to completion in and through Jesus, his son. So that's what he means when he talks about the administration of the ages. Okay. Then he continues on to say verse number 11, which we said we had to do again. Also, we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Now, we need to talk about that because here, if you watch again that first video that I did uh, in Ephesians chapter one, when we talked about Paul's pronoun usages that he uses in the book of Ephesians, notably in chapters one, especially in chapters one and two. And the idea is Paul would be switching from pronouns. We, you, and sometimes he'll talk about I, and you know, the I simply means Paul or the apostolic, but the instance here, 
there is a distinction where Paul begins to talk about. Remember, we are still in the context of salvation, the context of God's great plan of salvation. What about it? In this salvation, he also speaks of a great inheritance. So inheritance is basically synonymous with salvation and having been predestined and according to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So what's important about that is that language again of predestination. Everything that God is doing is according to his own purposes. This is not being done in some arbitrary sense. God has already in eternity past purposed a plan, completed a plan, predestined a people. And what God is doing throughout the age is he is simply working out this plan. And in the working out in, of this plan, we are seeing those who have been predestined to this plan. That is, we are realizing those who have been predestined according to God's plan of salvation. Notice again, uh, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All of this, this salvation thing, those whom God is saving, these are not arbitrary things chosen by people arbitrarily. All of this is done according to the purpose of God's will. And notice again, he did what? He predestined these things. What? To the end, that's verse number 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ will be to the praise of his glory. Now we come back to what I was saying earlier about the pronoun switching. The we, and it's important to understand in order to understand Ephesians correctly, it is important to take notice of this pronoun enunciation. When Paul says we, he means we Jews, we Jews who James also call the first fruits of salvation because what it is clearly that salvation came about through and of and to the Jewish people initially. And after that is after the death and resurrection of Jesus, salvation moved towards the Gentiles. We see this clearly in the book of Acts from basically chapters one through seven, uh, God's salvation to the Jews. And then we see the Samaritans. And then finally Acts chapter nine with the calling of the apostle Paul and 10 forward, we see the, the coming of salvation to the Gentiles. So Paul is simply saying here, what? That the Jews were the first to be called to the praise of God's glory to salvation. So the clear thing that Paul is in, uh, intimating is the, sep the distinction, the distinction between Jew and Gentile to God's predestined plan of salvation. So there is great praise, there is great honor, and there is great glory to God for his salvation to those who were first called, namely to the Jewish people. Then he continues, verse 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. So 13 and 14. So now he brings in the Gentiles as he speaks to the Ephesians who are Gentiles. He says, not only have the Jews a sick, a pre-select, a predetermined people among the Jews been destined unto salvation, but also a predetermined a group of Gentiles. You Ephesians have been elected unto salvation. So now we see the usage of that pronoun usage. What? Praise to God for his salvation and for the Jews who were first called to believe and praise to God for the salvation of the Gentiles who were also called to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he begins to say, what and how does this salvation come about by hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus by hearing and believing what? the message of the truth. And this is what the gospel of salvation, believing what is said about Jesus, his person, God coming in human flesh, the Messiah living righteously, dying for our sins, being resurrected from the dead. This is the message of the gospel of our salvation, the message of the truth. And in believing this Jew as well as Gentiles have been saved. And then in doing, and after doing so God evidenced their salvation by giving them the Holy spirit. And this is what he talks about in verse number 13 and 14. And that is the Holy spirit serves as God's pledge for our future inheritance. That is the Holy spirit is God's down payment, God's down payment within the believer that simply says your salvation is so much greater than what you are experiencing. Now your salvation is, is more than I things that the eye have seen the ear have heard or has entered into the very mind of a man. Your salvation is great to be experienced later on. And so as a uh, down payment, a pledge that I will give you in the proper time, the fullness of time, all the things that I have promised you, I now give you the Holy spirit to indwell inside of you. It is the spirit of promise, the promise that I will fulfill all of the things that I promised you. Anyway, so that's the idea of verses 13 and 14, that we both Jew and Gentile who have been saved by faith in Jesus Christ are given the Holy spirit as a down payment of even greater things that God will give to those whom he has predestined and to those to whom he has lavishly given this grace of election. Let's continue. Let's try to bring this to a close. Verse 15. For this reason, I too 
having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints. Do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and the power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now that was a long sentence. Okay. So what is Paul saying now, as Paul has just indicated that God has chosen to, to save uh, from among the Jews, a predetermined people for himself, as well as from among the Gentiles, what a predetermined people for himself. He begins to give praise and thanks to God for all of his saving grace to his people. And this is what he says. So when he heard about how the Gentiles, even namely the Ephesians here, how they have believed in the gospel, Paul begins to give thanks for them. And so in his thanksgiving to God for them, he also gives this as a sense of prayer. And so he says, and so for this reason, he continues to pray for their wisdom so that God would give them wisdom, knowledge, and insight into their calling, into this great salvation, into all of the wonderful. Remember what we've been talking about already, how that this salvation is so great, even uh, according to the pleasure, the good pleasure and the will and the grace of God and in all of his greatness, greatness that is beyond imagination. So Paul is saying to these Gentiles, I pray that you would grasp the very greatness of this salvation that God has given you, that God would give you the wisdom and the insight into understanding all that he has done for us, for all of us, Jew and Gentile in the Lord Jesus. And so he says, and this is the superfluous language that he used in verse 18, simply continue the eyes of your heart being enlightened that you will know the hope of his calling. The same thing that I was talking about, the richness of his glory, the surpassing greatness of his power towards us. Notice the, the superfluous language, the abundance of the inheritance that God has given his people in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is praying that the Gentiles, even all of us should come to a true knowledge and understanding and appreciation of what God has done for us 
through the cross of Jesus. Why? Because in understanding what God has doing for Jesus, for us through Jesus, it creates gratitude. It creates gratitude in the believer. And when the believer has a sense of gratitude, he responds with obedience to the Lord. Remember when Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is our keeping of the commandments of the Lord. Jesus is not predicated simply because he said so. Yes, that is indeed important, but it is based upon love, love that is built out of a heart of gratitude. And when you begin to understand the goodness of God in Christ Jesus, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, the person of the Lord Jesus, and all that God has done for us according to his will, plan, purpose, predestination, you will rightly respond with obedience. And this is the point that Paul is going to bring out in chapters four through six, but we won't go there. We're a long ways off from that. But he continues on in speaking of Christ Jesus from the sense of God's glorification of the Lord Jesus, not only glorification in and through his cross, but even afterwards, notice what he says, this glory, which you brought about in Christ Jesus, when he raised him, verse number 20, from the dead. Oh, let me get into that. I don't even know if I read that part. So let me talk about that. Concerning Christ Jesus, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who feels all and in all. That's a beautiful statement about Jesus. So he began to speak of Jesus from a sense of glorification and magnifying him. That is, he speaks of how God the Father has glorified Jesus, not only in his death on the cross, but even more so in his resurrection. For in Jesus's resurrection, what did God do? He seated him at God's own right hand on the throne of God. And there is no place in the universe that has more glory, more honor, more majesty, more power and dominion than the literal throne of God itself. And Jesus has been seated at the throne of God in the heavenly places. And that's why he talks about the rest of how he speaks. What? Uh, uh, far above because what no, no other place is greater than the throne of God far above thrones and power dominion because what the throne of God is greater than all of these things greater than all any other name even greater than anything in this age and we already explained what this age is as well as the age to come and we already talked about that which is to come the millennial kingdom so in all things God has glorified Jesus to be one greater than 
anything, but even more so, God has given Jesus as the head of the church, which is Jesus's own body. And that body of Jesus is the fullness of all things. So it speaks of how we, the people of Christ, in Christ Jesus are glorified along with the glory of Jesus and to bring chapter one to a close. And in this glorification, the main idea of the apostle Paul is how God has prepurposed and predestined and God has set forth a pre-plan for a particular people of his own who will enjoy the wonders and the glories of an inheritance that God has determined to give to them in this age, but even more so by the giving of the Holy Spirit in the age to come. Therefore, what? Glory to God for his unspeakable gift, for all that he has done for us in Christ Jesus, this Jesus whom he has raised from the dead and glorified him with every glorious name, greater than any other name. And so we conclude Ephesians chapter one. So with that understanding, all I simply say is this, just remember that pronoun switching thing that we talked about earlier so that as we prepare to go into chapter two, we can see how Paul begins to bring in how he encourages the Gentile with me as Paul has just been glorifying God and praising God for all that God is doing. He is going to say, and you Gentiles glorify me to glorify. I'm sorry glorify God with me for all that God has done in his salvation of you. But anyway, we ain't gonna get into all of that. We'll just simply stop right there. Thanks for joining me guys. And if the Lord has blessed your heart, please consider supporting this ministry. There is always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry and always pray for me. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next time.